where we were starting to dig out from our frozen tundra. So welcome to the ups and downs of winter in Indiana. <laughs> um, so I trust everybody's doing well. All right. It's okay if you're not, too. So that's really fine. Um, Announcements-wise, we have women's spirituality group. We meet at 6 o'clock for our meal on Wednesday. And then at 7, we'll delve into the spiritual practice. Depending on what happens with Isaac in the basketball tournament <laughs> that's starting tomorrow, I may or may not be there on Wednesday. But we'll figure out a plan for if I'm not going to be there to leave. Um, but... If you haven't been and you're a woman, um, we certainly encourage you to come. It's been a really amazing time to experience different ways of praying and to just build great, trusting relationships with each other. It's been an awesome experience. So please come and join us. We would love to have you. Um, and Herb and I talked about the men doing something, so it might happen someday. Yes. So it's, it's the coming. The men might do something. And I let, I let Herb and Quinn know that we women were willing to give, to go to every other Wednesday to allow them to have every other Wednesday as well. So <laughs> that wasn't my idea. That was like, <laughs> it was Kim and Rachel. It wasn't me. <laughs> they're, they're the more selfless ones, I guess. Okay. I, all right. This is not a contest, everyone. <laughs> oh, man. This is just ironic in light of what we're going to talk about today. So, um, <laughs> any other announcements, prayer requests, things you want to bring before the congregation? We are a congregation, guys. Don't be wigged out by that term. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. You're in a jovial mood, but not a talkative mood. So we'll see how this works today. So I guess I'll open us up in prayer, and then we will dig into John 2. God, thank you so much for gathering each one of us here today. We know that some of us come on a regular basis, and this is just a regular part of our Sunday morning routine. But for others, this is a new space or a new opportunity or something that we just felt led to today. But God, no matter what our circumstance or our past history, God, this is the place that you appointed for us to be today and at this time. So, Lord, we pray your spirit would be upon each of us, that our hearts would be open for what your word is speaking to us today, that we would be transformed, that our minds would be renewed, God, and we know that that process is kind of a painful one. So God, help us to be gentle with ourselves as you change us and grow us into your likeness. And God, that we would bring others alongside of us along the way. God, in accountability and in love and community. God, help us with that. Help us to receive people into our small groups of relationship that may be different than people that we've invited in before. God, that you would give us a level of hospitality and generosity in our community that shines the light to this city. Lord, help us to be your servants, to live in the way of love. 
so that we can extend your grace to the world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I have to tell you that this is not an unfamiliar text. Um, Brandon, who was a part of our congregation for a long time, um, who spoke last week, uh, had a kind of infamous teaching related to this text. <laughs> um, for those of you that were there, you might remember it was when we were still just upstairs and Brandon had placed little people on the communion table and he whipped them. <laughs> um, he turned over the tables that Sunday with the little people figurines. And, and I think I, I had only been attending here for a pretty short time when that happened, so it was kind of dramatic. I wasn't used to seeing people knocking over um, children's toys in the middle of a sermon. So, so I am um, standing in the shadow of that as I teach this today, but I think it, it may be an entirely different take. I don't know. Um, the context in which we are living right now is a different one than it was at that point in time. So clearly that affects how we see and read the scripture. So we're going to be delving into John 2, um, 13 to 25. So Quinn, can you put that next one up? So um, let's dive in. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone. For he himself knew what was in everyone. Okay, so let's go to the next one. I want to start giving you some context for John's gospel. Um, John's gospel is not what they call a synoptic gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels, and they go together. They have a very consistent chronology, um, and they're more of a storytelling kind of thing. Whereas John was written last, it doesn't have the same chronology for everything, and it has a more theological focus. So obviously that changes how stories come to us and how we read them. Um, this story here is in a different place in John than it is in Matthew, Mark, 
and Luke. So the story of turning over the tables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the synoptics happens after Jesus is had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So this is happening during Holy Week. But in John's Gospel, this is Jesus's big um, public coming out party at the very beginning of his ministry. And so last week, Brandon talked to us about how the water was turned into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. And that was Jesus's first miracle. So John is setting the stage of this is the guy that's going to turn the system around. He's going to turn it over into a new way of being. Um, he is performing miracles. He's doing things differently. He's welcoming people of all stripes together to celebrate a, this culmination. Um, like Brandon talked about last week, the wedding, like the wedding celebration of the kingdom of God. So that's, that's the direction that John is going in. So Jesus has got to make his very big first public appearance at some point. And John chooses to use this temple experience to be that thing. Um, and it's kind of amazing because he's walking into the temple. Jesus was an observant Jew. He'd gone to the temple with his family um, every Passover to do their sacrifices. But this time, Jesus walks into the temple and something is different because it is the fullness of time for him to be able to come out there and be like, dude, we're missing the point. Okay. Um, what's also different about this story in John's gospel is that John doesn't reference the den of robbers. So a lot of times when you hear this story taught, there's a focus on the people that are in the temple outer courts that are selling um, those animals for sacrifices are charging too much money for them. So they're kind of like screwing people over that are trying to come and do their sacrifices in the way that they were um, commanded to do. Or that the people that were changing the money out because they had to change their money, they couldn't use Roman coins that had Caesar's picture on it in the temple to pay um, their temple tax because that would have been idolatry. So they had to switch to these other kinds of coins that didn't have a face on them, so they wouldn't be um, paying homage to Caesar while they paid their temple tax. Um, so those people in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke version of the story may have been charging an extraordinary amount of money for that exchange rate. So they were taking advantage of people that were trying to perform their, um, their sacrificial duty their call that it was in scripture, they were doing the things they were supposed to be doing, but other people were taking advantage of it. But in John's gospel, he doesn't go there. He doesn't say those kinds of things. It, Jesus isn't set off by that. It's something else. So I found this picture because, you know, sometimes when you hear this story, this is like rebel Jesus. He's walking in there and I'm imagining You've got like Rage Against the Machine is playing in the background and he's just like tearing it up. We have all seen plenty of superhero movies, right? Where you've got like this good guy that's got like kind of a bad attitude. I don't know, like Wolverine, you know, he's kind of that rough edged superhero um, who has a, uh, has a grudge, I guess, um, in there just like tearing it up because this is a righteous thing to do, but it's a violent way of doing it. And I think sometimes we read this passage that way. 
And sometimes we use this passage to excuse our own rage that may be misplaced. Yeah, this is this is a Jesus that doesn't necessarily fit with um, loving acceptance, right? This is a Jesus that makes us feel uncomfortable. For some of us, we also are like, "This is an amazing Jesus. This is the Jesus I want to see." He's like, "Screw the system. This isn't amazing. We got to do something different." You're all missing the point. But the danger in that can put us in a space where we're becoming anti-Jewish, right? So we're using Jesus as this figure of saying that, well, the Jews missed the point. They weren't really the people that God called. They were doing things that were wrong. They were just doing the thing they were told to do, right? You know, they had some pretty dramatic systems that were built up around their call to the sacrificial system. I mean, the whole book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus is about those systems and how do you live out those systems. They were just trying to do what was expected of them. I think a lot of times we in the church are trying to do what's expected of us. But sometimes we're missing the heart behind the things that we do. Are we singing the songs and worship because that's what we're supposed to do at the beginning of the service? Or because we have a heart of worship? Are we praying or reading the Bible or, you know, um, meditating on God's beautiful creation because we have a heart of worship to God who has given all of those things to us? Or are we worshiping the thing itself? And to me, I think that's what Jesus's commentary was. It wasn't that the system was broken. It was that the system subsumed everything else. It was about promoting that system and doing it the right way. And it, they didn't care as much about the hearts of the people that were coming to make those sacrifices. Were they coming with a contrite heart? Or were they just coming to buy their cattle and sheep and doves in order to be able to get to the next year with the slate washed clean? You know, this last section where Jesus is talking about the temple, you know, it's always interesting for us on this side of things to laugh at the questions that the Jews asked him. You know, what gives you the right to do this? Like, to totally disrupt the entire thing on one of their major feast days of the year. This was the days when people came to make their sacrifices, and Jesus tore it up and kept people from being able to do their religious duty. And so I guess if I was one of the Jews that was in charge of things, I probably wouldn't have talked to him as calmly as he seemed to have asked him, what gives you the right? What gives you the right? Well, let me tear down this temple. Tear down that temple. I love how Jesus never answers the question. Tear down the temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. 
And they're like, what? We've just been refurbishing the thing. This has taken 46 years. Are you crazy? How are you doing this in three days? Because, you know, of course, Jesus is not talking about this physical temple. He's talking about himself through his death and his resurrection. Because what he's doing is saying, get rid of the sacrificial system. This thing is not God's best because you're missing the point. You've not had the kind of heart change that I want to see because your temple is me. Your temple is me. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. So as I was um, beginning to think about this passage earlier in the week, you know, Monday was Martin Luther King Day. And I went to a panel discussion here in Columbus that was about a letter from a Birmingham jail. And so this is a letter that Martin Luther King wrote um, essentially to this group of white pastors who had written a letter to him saying, whoa, Nellie, <laughs> don't move so fast. You're pushing things too hard. You need to slow down. And so Martin Luther King's in jail in Birmingham because he was marching and doing all the things that he typically did. And so he was in jail and decided to write a letter because this thing came out right before he went in jail. And what he says here is um, a, a section that we spend a lot of time talking about on Monday night. He says, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. The Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who prefers a negative peace, the absence of tension, to a positive peace, the presence of justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. And I think this has a lot to be, to have a lot of connections with what we're talking about today and Jesus's interactions in the temple. I'm not saying that every single person who walked into the temple was just going through the motions. I think there were some really um, heartfelt, observant Jews that really cared about their faith and their, their relationship with God. I think there, are some, there were some people in MLK's time that um, were like, we're with you, brother, in word, right? But their heart and their deeds didn't match up. I think it's a, it's a really telling thing that... He, Martin Luther King is saying that people that stand on the fence are more detrimental to progress and growth and in reducing discrimination. Those lukewarm ones, right? In the book of Revelation, God's talking about spitting the lukewarm out of his mouth. This is all the same, right? True. Because if you're, if you're standing up against someone who's standing up against you, at least you know what you're working with. But when you've got somebody who's doing all of the things that make you think that they're with you, but then when push comes to shove, they're not there. You've got a problem. You know, I think Jesus was calling out that kind of lukewarm worship in the temple and was like, there's something new. We've got to do something new here. And I am the way to that new thing. 
Um, so something I was kind of rolling around in my head is, you know, those temple practices that were created to facilitate worship and that communion with God to recenter that relationship out of the disjointedness that we have because of our sin, those practices themselves became the thing that was worshiped. And even in a congregation like ours where we don't have like a lot of liturgical practice or systems of the way that we do things and we might critique congregations that have a lot of that and we will wag our finger and say, oh, well, you guys worship the way you do church because you have a split because you can't decide what color carpet is on the floor and yada, yada, yada. I know that a lot of us have come from congregations where that was the case. But I think in our own way, do we worship our differentness, our separateness, instead of being in community and worshiping God together and that that is the thing? This isn't the kind of passage where we just go, oh, that's all those other people out there. They're the ones that need the tables turned over. The elusiveness of humility. Yes. You almost have to chase it. Yes. (laughs) I hear you, Seven. I hear you. So my last slide is where the tables need to be turned over in your life. Because we've got to turn this back for ourselves. This is not just like a systems problem. You know, we've got a lot of injustice going on in the world. And there's a lot of people out there doing these big demonstrations and saying, calling out the injustice. And that was like Jesus in the temple, just like the prophets of old who were doing crazy things because God is like, we need to get people's attention. Jesus was getting people's attention by turning over tables in the middle of Passover. That is a big deal. But where do the tables need to be turned over for us? Like, where do we need to find that dramatic, inciting event to look at our own selves and see where we are worshiping something other than God? You know, I, I think there, it becomes harder when it's not the kind of obvious sin, right? It's not the things that you can point to and be like, yeah, that's, that's not in the way of God. But things that could be good but turned on their head in some way. Jen, if I could interject sure. uh, sort of an example. I've been a part of a lot of different activist groups over my lifespan. And I find, again... I want to mention the elusiveness of humility because I've been a part of groups that I feel like, wait a minute, it feels like now we feel like do-gooders. It feels like we're no longer gung-ho about the thing we started. And I can mention some groups, but I'm not going to mention any names. But we're no longer gung-ho about like what we started and wanted to fix. We're almost puffed up Mm -hmm. in that we're the ones out here trying to fix it. Yes. And then that becomes that thing that, like you said, you started out and it appearance looks like we're out here doing good, but I've seen from the inside what starts to happen and the mo- again you said earlier I-, I felt the word there was intentions mm-hmm. your love motivations what are you truly motivated it becomes very personal and you gotta you gotta grapple with taking right. captive each thought yeah. because I've been there and to me that's a good example of where it feels like you're doing good but really mm-hmm. you know that, that it's not about power or anything it's a human nature that we have to constantly battle and stay there with God to not let ourselves feel because we're so close to God, it feels like we are God. There's this thing there, you know, you have that power in you, but you know that you have to submit. You know where it comes yeah. from, and you got to remind yourself of that. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. So, um, so I was trying to work on kind of developing some ideas of where, you know, 
I guess you could call it creep can happen. So, you know, a lot of us here, we have families, right? And so it's an important, and I think uh, something that God loves is for us to have strong, healthy families. But when your family becomes your idol is when you have a lack of hospitality for other people and you're excluding others. Um, I think that's where you can find some creep. So um, this is the time of year when people want to really work on developing a healthier lifestyle, right? You know, New Year's resolution, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to exercise, all that kind of thing. And I think that's, that's certainly important to establish because our bodies are a temple, right? We need to treat them as such. But it can be creep when that eating plan can't change to accommodate other people or to be able to have people over or to go and gather with others. And when your exercise regimen is so restrictive that you don't have time to do anything else. That's creep. Um, I think social media is a pretty amazing and powerful tool. But as we know, it can easily become narcissistic. It can become a thing where you may be sharing about your life, but you're only sharing the really good stuff, the beautiful things, the things that make you look good. You take 17 selfies, so you find one that you don't have a double chin in, right? And then you spend time, like you post something and you spend time figuring out how many likes and how many reactions and how many comments you got off that picture that you posted. That's creep, right? We want to be connected, but then it becomes all about you. I mean, these are just some really small examples. I mean, every single one of us has places that we need those tables turned over because we're worshiping something other than Christ, who is to be worshiped. Yes, Cindy? So I guess what all I'm trying to say is we can't point fingers to other people and say, oh, you needed, they needed disruption. We see these other people that dis need disruption. We need it too. I think. Yeah, I, I think a good example that some of us have gone to different churches and partaken in communion in multiple different ways. That's a really good example for me, anyway, because of being raised Catholic. And I was through the mundaneness and just going because everybody said to. But I've also considered a meal with someone. Mm -hmm. You know, and not forced to eat. Not forced to. I mean, even here, that's why I got excited when we were kind of back to that. I can go when I want, when I feel like it's right. I don't have to every time look good by going up with my hands out with a piece of bread crease. You know, and if if we can internalize so much of what you tried to teach the masses, I, I think that's the key here. Um, you know, a lot of this love, like you said, to point a finger 
at Jesus's side that we agree with and the human side of, oh, I can beat people because he did. No, he did the cows. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the internal process of being like Jesus and coming to understand that we are all part of a grander picture just like him mm -hmm. in his day, it makes it a lot easier for me to grow Right. Anymore. Eric. For me the where the tables need to be turned over. I, I kind of see myself on the side of being the money changer and being the one to profit from something. So I guess for me it's like when I'm involved in something and it's more of like a reputation thing or like kind of this tacit like liking some cause but not really taking action. It's more about me and like showing that I've got some like very superficial level of concern about an issue, but um, the next step often in those cases is doing something that might be considered a radical and damaging reputation or <coughs> getting serious about an issue and um, disturbing uh, the peace a bit. So I, I guess it's really questioning if I'm really committed to something or if I just want to be seen as someone who um, supports an, an activity. And, and so maybe the white moderate is someone who's kind of kind of approving of an MLK, but when it gets serious, it's like, MLK, you're just a little bit too radical. We really don't support you now. So I guess that's what it means to turn over the table to really get serious about things. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's important to remember, too, like sometimes in the social justice world, I get overwhelmed because I'm like, this issue isn't that's that needs help. And this one and this one and this one. And it's like there's so many things that um, to be committed to. But that's just not possible for everyone. And so I think it, it's a, a level of discernment and to know the places that God has called you to be out there being a disruptor or a demonstrator um, and the other places where you are called to be an ally and support those that are disruptive in the holy kind of disruption kind of way. does and, it, and it's one of those things that you know like one of the earlier slides I talked about tension 
because I think we we have a tension about the places where we feel like we need to press forward and be disruptive and kind of be dissension, create dissension because it's about justice. But there is other spaces where that really becomes about us. And it's difficult to discern the difference. know when to let it go and when to turn over their table. so black and white as we would love for it to be, is it? It's so difficult, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. But aren't you saving a life is a good start point of what kind of question, you know, if you're getting ready to do something, just that simple. I like to kind of make it simple, you know. Mm -hmm. Am I saving a life with what I do? Is it just me, you know, because it is important. I always tell people, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's kind of important that you take that step to love yourself because it's out of that overflow of understanding love that you can apply it. So just simply, you know, I love what you said because it was definitely like the whipped cream on top of a great message. Um, you know, really ask yourself in that motivation of love, you know, are the, are the actions truly helping others? Because it does get to that scary point where you really like, I'm helping, I'm helping, I'm, am I still helping? <laughs> yeah. And so I think it so speaks a lot to us about um, continuously checking our motives and being discerning. And I think being in prayer and being like in touch with the spirit, I think that is something that has to constantly occur for us to truly act in a way of Christ. No matter if it's these things where we're operating in a gray area where we may be, you know, being prophetic in a way that's pretty disruptive to the status quo, but for other things in our own life, like being able to make sure that our eyes on the ball, that we're not, you know, honoring other things in our life higher than God, even though they are good things that we are elevating those good things to to be things that we are worshiping themselves so on that note i think i will um start us into communion because i think this is a question that you need to have time to roll around and you've got 10 minutes okay you've got some time and so even though i'm going to open the table up for you to come and receive um come when you're ready don't feel pressured um know that this table is open for all um, I don't, you know, vet you before you come and, and take our communion. I think that's something between you and God. Um, I believe that God calls people to himself through this table, and I want everyone to be able to participate and experience that love and that grace. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for drawing us here today to ponder these issues. Help us to examine ourselves and to know the spaces in our hearts that um, we worship the good thing rather than worshiping you. God, convict us in that way. God, help us to see places where we are lukewarm, where we need to find the boldness to turn over some tables and to speak truth to power and to be a light in a dark space in whatever realm you are calling us to do that in. God, I pray that you would give us that boldness. Where we thank you that you are the temple, that you cannot be destroyed, that you are continuously renewed and everlasting. That we thank you that we no longer have to be at the mercy of others to go to some place and to buy an animal to sacrifice for our sins. God, but you have done that for us. And God, and in this table, we celebrate all that you have done and will continue to do in our hearts as over and over again, you renew us to become more like your son. God, we thank you for that gift. So as we ponder this question and come to the table today, God, I pray that you would 
Renew us for the journey of extending your kingdom. That we may be people of grace and light and disruption. So that all of the things that are disjointed, all of the things that are not the way that you created them to be, would be renewed and healed and reconciled. Because we know that it is through our hands that that work is accomplished. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to accomplish that work by your grace and mercy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.